Welcome to Accounting High. We might call this episode Ed Sullivan Show because Ted and Ed, same name. The certificate does say Edward on it. His birth certificate and his CPA certificate. Both certificates <laughs> say Edward. Accurate. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, live from New York, the Ed Sullivan Show. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan. Systems with tech allowances, fintech vendors with some cloud outfits, but now they're coding this computer science for accountants. In fact, I'm remoting in new tools, paperless, asynchronous for data analysts, APIs to find all your SaaS apps connected, cloud computing plugins for your implementation, automate technology to leverage the meta, disrupt your desktop, then break it down. We sharing metrics, AI to the GPT to the AI disrupt. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto agents disrupt. Time to tweak your tech team and make some changes disrupt. If my staff quit, I still have automation disrupt. Last episode just went viral. Let's go, it's gonna make your head spiral. Scarano, Casey, Sunshine, Accounting High Show. The lab is ready, it's tech time, yo. Glitch, it's tech time. Disrupt, it's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Scott Scarano and Jason Ackerman. We're going to have a problem here. Teddy, 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 Teddy. You're with our guests. You have them hostage in your, in your Live room. Live in my basement. Yeah. I'm trapped. Teddy, Welcome. Thank you. So I feel like yeah, you're Edward. we're like so far away from the Ed Sullivan show that it probably like you don't get a lot of comments. Like they have to be a, a certain demographic to say, "Oh, Ed Sullivan." I rarely go by Edward as well, and I'm almost always Ted or Teddy. So, yeah, people don't always make that connection that my name is Edward unless they're collecting payments <laughs> with a credit card or collecting payment with a credit card there we go so which i i use a lot of credit cards over apple pay but i use my phone too i like using the phone it's convenient so teddy has a very unique story because he worked for zero he was in a zero alumni you, there's a lot of zero alumni you were these an days, account man. rep what was your title I did a lot of things at Zero. I, I started as a PC and I left as a, a director of sales. So in, in between, I was a senior account manager. So, uh, so yeah, did did a couple of different things. And then you decided, you decided that you wanted to then 
buy an accounting firm and do the actual accounting work. It, it seemed like I, I could do that. I met enough accountants and uh, saw enough accounting firms and how they were run, learned, learned about their, uh, their dirty laundry and, and, how, and how tough the transition could be to the cloud. And yeah, I just saw opportunity. So the trend typically is accounting firm owner, sell accounting firm, go work for an app, go work for zero, go work for somebody else. You took the opposite route. I think that it's it's a natural progression for anybody to want to see both sides if they are a fan of the profession. You seem to be a fan of this profession that we are in. Is that correct? I think that's fair. I want to set the stage here. Teddy, you were originally from where? Uh, Boston or south of Boston, Duxbury, Massachusetts. Boston. What got you into accounting in the first place? Like, What got you into the zero world? Those are two very different answers. What got me into accounting was I didn't want to sell printers. And then so I decided to go to graduate school at Northeastern. And that got me into the accounting world. And uh, I was always good at math. So accounting seemed logical. Someone convinced me it wasn't just, you know, pushing, pushing paper, bean counting. There was some interaction and some fun client interaction if you were to put yourself in the right position. So I did that and decided, but, but what got me into a zero was deciding to get out of accounting and auditing and then full circle four years and a half years later, I'm back in the profession. Fun, funny how that works out. And in those years, you like, did you always think one day you'll get your CPA? I probably didn't until I bought the firm. Um, but once I got the firm, I realized I knew credibility-wise it would help, and so I already had the experience from my previous time at Deloitte in Boston, and so yeah, I've got signatures from some former coworkers in Boston on my my character certificate. So, <laughs> but, so that's a. I mean, you you put an aside there, like you thought it would be for credibility. Mm-hmm. I think obviously it's always been getting your CPA is a choice, but it's a choice that some people may not even need to make in the profession. I mean, it's the, I'm still questioning it because honestly, I don't have my license and I'm trying to figure out what's the difference, right? Like, should I think about getting it one day? I mean, I'm approaching middle age. If I'm going to ever do it, I should do it. Are you having a middle life crisis? Oh God. I've, I've had a quarter life crisis. I've had semi-annual life crises. I'm, uh, I'm not in a crisis right now. I'm kind of content, but that's not to say next month I won't be having another crisis. I don't know. Like, what is, what's the, so is it for validation? Was it for your own self? It's for my mom. <laughs> All right. That's enough right there, right? There like, still comes Sometimes a point, we just want to please our parents. There comes a I'm p- not even joking. That's definitely part of it. But there's, there comes a point when you, when you get to a certain level where you need something that a CPA is still very valuable. You know, another reason I got it, as I went through the firm buying process, it really limited the firms I had an opportunity to even look at their numbers to potentially buy them. So I, I went through brokers and looked through a lot of different opportunities before buying the firm that I did, but I wasn't even able to talk to a lot of them because I wasn't a CPA. And so I wanted to make sure that that was different if I ever went through that process again in the future. So. I'm interested. Talk about, so you, you decide, hey, I want to buy a firm. 
talk about the process of how you went about buying the firm, what you were looking at as far as the type of firm that you wanted to buy. There were a couple of metrics that were really important to me. One was percentage of revenue going to the owner. That was the number one metric I cared about. If that was north of 50%, even if the owner was doing a lot of the work, then that was something that I was excited about. And then the second thing I was looking at really closely was I wanted to make sure there was a large percentage of bookkeeping revenue. So bookkeeping revenue, I wanted to be more than 50% of the income. And a lot of the listings, that percentage is really high to, on the tax side. And I didn't like that because that's hard to sustain throughout all 12 months. So those are the two metrics I was most concerned about. And then location. Location was less of a concern, but I, yeah, I figured it out. And it worked out here in Raleigh, right next to my friend Scott. So I uh, hung out with him <laughs> in my early days here. He actually gifted me a, uh, a bookcase. So yeah. So how gave him a bookcase as a welcome gift? How many firms did you go? Did you look at their numbers before you found this one in Raleigh that you ended up buying? They're willing to give up the numbers pretty easy. I probably looked at the numbers of 20, 25 firms. I probably I spoke to two, maybe three different firm owners. So you can get the numbers, and then if you like them, you can then follow back up. So yeah, probably twenty. 25. So when you were talking were, to these firms, what were you kind of looking at as you talked with them? Do I trust this person? Because if I don't, then the numbers don't matter. I need to run away. That's the first thing I'm trying to figure out when I meet someone like that. Then do I do I like them? Because you're going to have to spend a lot of time with this person and, and yeah, trust them through a transition process where they could kind of screw you or make your life easier. So and if they care about their clients and their employees, then that's obviously a really good thing, too. So those are kind of the things that I'm trying to gauge as I go through it. But. So you said location doesn't matter, yet you moved from Canada to Raleigh, North Carolina after buying this firm here. So did you, did you always intend to buy a firm and move wherever it was? Were you looking across the country? I had aspirations and still do of having totally remote firm or the opportunity where some employees can be totally remote. So I saw it as I would need to potentially live there for a period of time to build trust with employees and, and establish that process and culture. But that was my plan and a little, little harder in execution than in plan, but that was my plan. What's hotter than a million dollar cloud firm right now i mean are there many remote only firms that are that are for sale when you were looking very few usually one or two in north america and for context there's probably a thousand firms for sale at any given moment so yeah very very few are fully remote a lot have some remote employees but very few are fully remote did you look at any of the ones that were remote those one or two I spoke to a broker about one, but the firm owner wouldn't take a meeting with me. I tried to get a meeting. That's the other thing that happens. You'll you'll say, hey, I want to talk to this person. They're already talking to two or three people. So the broker is like, yeah, we're not going to have them talk to more than that many people at any given moment. And if one of those turns into an offer, then you don't you don't get in. But OK. All right. So that that's that part's interesting to me because, you know, again, you're when you're buying a firm, and it is highly localized. I don't know the right phrase or term there, but if it's 
if all of their clients are local, if a lot of the interactions they have with clients tend to be still somewhat face-to-face, you know, that's a pretty big hill to climb post-acquisition to get them remote. Are you doing that with the firm you've purchased? I'm working hard to establish processes to make that easier. I'm not, I'm not beating it with a sledgehammer, you could say. I'm trying to nudge it. And a lot of people are happy for some of those changes and a few people aren't. So, so yes, but not, not, not a hundred percent is my answer. I think it's hard to buy a completely remote firm because then you're, it's hard to manage. Like you're brand new and there's people all over the country that could potentially be harder to manage than if you have everyone in one office to start. I think it would be easier to do that and make them remote than start fully remote and try and change cultures and stuff because you never see them. My two cents. So, well, no, no, that's a good point. Teddy, what do you think? I think Scott's firm has a head of operations. It'd be easier to get his firm because that person, but that person would be really key. A firm my size doesn't have that role. And so it would be. So you were looking to buy like. I I, I got a mentor, but the the old firm owner was, is a mentor to me. So I, I, that was a big part of my success or why, why it's gone well. So she's been, that's part of, and again, I, I don't, I didn't necessarily know that I was seeking that out, but it kind of worked out that way. And I'm really grateful. So that's part of it. And when you were looking to buy a firm, you're looking to buy like a couple, did you have a, a employee range of what you were looking for? Revenue, I had an idea. I wanted it to be, you know, north of 300 grand in revenue, something like that. But I. But, but you I was, wanted a small firm then. So you wanted like. Yeah. A $300,000 firm is going to be one or two. 300, 800, 300, 800. Yeah, two to seven employees. There's six employees in my firm, but it's, it's yeah. Let's talk numbers then. You purchased the firm. Mm-hmm. When did you purchase again? December 2020. December 2020. All right. So very unique year during, you know, a. a pretty big upheaval of the world how would you say the first year went i think it went really well employees on the team that we have a great team so that that's really helped us succeed through the first year and going through the transition of the uh the old owner my you know like i mentioned my mentor Lori. she's working a little bit less as she's uh, you know trying to continue to lean like she was very central to the firm's success in the past so she's like it's been great to keep her on the team through in through a second year here and we're lucky to have her still involved so i I think it's gone really really well excited to hire another person We're, we're growing but but it's it's definitely harder than harder to create and execute on change maybe than than I than I talked about when I was selling to accountants you in the past. Talked a big talk. <laughs> that's that's a really Even good after, point. Like it's it's not easy to change. It's really not. So how it, did theoretically it all seems easy. When you're selling it on somebody and you've seen one yeah. person do it, then it's like this is a model that anybody can do because I know of these two firms that did it. But then there's that nine hundred ninety eight other firms that haven't done it. I will say that as I acknowledged that it wasn't going to be easy when I was talking to firm owners when when I was selling zero. So I did know it wasn't going to be easy, but I definitely didn't feel their pain until the last (laughs) year and a half. We'll say that. Yeah. So teach you some. So when you went, you, you decide you reach an agreement with Lori to buy the firm and she announces it to the team. Like, how did they take it? 
one employee cried. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion. Everybody's yeah. nervous and scared that their job's going to get disrupted or that the new owner will, won't be nice or won't treat them with respect. So there's definitely risk. Everyone's afraid. Change. So, Change. so what'd you do? Everyone's afraid day one. What'd you do to like calm their fears? They went out to lunch with Lori and then I came back and met them at the office in the afternoon and just met them that first day. And it was right before Christmas. So it was the week before Christmas in 2020. And yeah, I met them and Lori assured them that all of their jobs were safe and that they were going to, that she was going to continue working on the new team. And, and yeah, she worked very, very, just like a normal busy season. We, we headed into tax season and, and that was the plan all along though. We're going to execute the deal right now and I'm going to work tax season just like I still own the place. And then I'm going to start phasing out and, and trying to work less and less as time goes but on. But what, what's something concrete that you told the employees, like, other than you just were there, like what, how'd you gain their trust? The best way to show that you give a is to give a so I guess the truth is I took I, I made a point to go out onto a one-to-one lunch with everyone on the team to try to get to know them a little bit better and better understand them away from work, and also, yeah, just learn. I, I didn't I didn't necessarily try to institute too much change in my first three months, six months at all, almost no change, just trying to observe and learn. So I think that was probably pretty key that I didn't come in and try to make a bunch of changes right away. I think that that helped reassure them that I wasn't. That I wasn't there just to, to you know, I they, they knew I worked for zero, so they were probably afraid that I would come in and say, hey, we're going to work, put everyone on zero. And that would have probably been a tough pill to swallow if I had tried to pull that off before I had built the trust within the group. So Actions speak louder than words. You're not going to give a speech and then change everything. It's always going to be what you act, what are you doing? Yeah, there's nothing I said. It takes time. That's 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 my answer. So what's after you, this initial phase, like what was, what's the first thing that you changed within the firm? The one thing I did change really fast was the way we collected money was almost all checks. So I immediately set up a, a Stripe account and got us collecting payment through online invoicing. And uh, I also set up Go Cardless and set us up to start getting paid through automatic transfers. Just again, I, the, the amount of checks that were coming in was, was overwhelming. Well, that's an important way to start because the traditional accountant, CPA, or firm owner doesn't want the fees. So yeah, they're so scared of the us- fees. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to cut into our but, margins, yet but we'll they do have, all these other things. Yeah, but they have a... a, a- AR like hundreds of thousands of dollars of AR, but they yeah. don't they don't want to, and they spend time collecting the AR, but they don't want to pay fees. That never made sense to me. Well, there's a balance. Cash is king, but also, but you, you have know, to have the cash up front. <laughs> you have to have the right. cash for it to be right. king. So, uh, well, I'm, when I say cash is king, it's like not allowing credit cards is something that, gosh, when I see the difference on on like, you know. The one, the oh, we, we pay we like $100,000 in credit card fees a year. Well, and yeah. I much prefer go cardless. The fees are lower than Stripe, right? So to me, I'd much rather the ACH transfer, I'll, as long as it's set up, going to yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's got to be set up up front. And that's, that, but it's just a good thing to get over because I'm not saying 
that I'm, I, I'm definitely, it, it took me longer to get away from no credit cards. I mean, we, we would do credit cards in certain instances, but yeah, it's just a, you know, that's one of the biggest differences because that's an immediate cut in your margin before yeah. anything happens. Just add 5% to every bill and then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I think it's like yeah. you can pay with credit card everything else in your life. Like, I don't think it's good customer service to not accept it. Like, it's just raise your fees. Yeah. I'm with you there, Ackerman. That's the one thing I'll agree with you on in this whole year. <laughs> and you can you can even charge your customers 3% fee if they want to use it. That's the other thing. It's, it used yeah. to be illegal in North Carolina. You used to not be able to do that. North Carolina, until North Carolina started collecting it at the, at the Secretary of State level, they had a little stipulation in there to say you cannot charge a fee for a certain payment. And then they started charging the fee. So... <laughs> <laughs> I do lose a few pennies because because Stripe charges slightly more than three percent, but I, I I get customers three. That's interesting though. I'm glad I'm not breaking the law. Thank you for teaching me something today, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's 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 all in the no. It's all in the and how you phrase it. It's a you know a convenience fee or you know you just can't call it a credit. I don't know. There's something that you can't do. You're fine. Whatever. You're I fine, mean, Teddy. You're fine. You're good. You're not, you're not good. going to jail North today, Carolina's Teddy. got some got got some tricky laws when it comes to bathrooms and names on your firm and all kinds of crazy things but hey so take but let's go back to the changes so you implement online payments what's the next thing you did big change he's on quickbooks desktop he's not there's, there's no big changes happening yet he's how are you still using go cardless you're not using let's zero use, well for my books i'm on zero yeah so how many clients do you have on the cloud right now percentage wise percentage wise we'll call it nine percent yeah this is this is real this is real life man we're we're in a bubble we're in the cloud bubble ackerman this is and i want it to happen so what's preventing your you from changing them over to put puts online or zero the team isn't confident and comfortable using it and i'm gonna create a situation where i'm gonna have a ton of frustration and a lot of things on my plate if i was to make that executive command the pain of change is greater than the pain of the present because there is no pain in the present for you <laughs> this is like say, nostradamus say that, say that the again pain like, of I love change it. the pain of change is greater than the pain of the present because you don't have too many pains in the present right now quickbooks desktop works your team likes it you're making money on it why change yes that is all accurate. You know, the, the, so the why, pains why do of backups So why and, do you want and, to change? I think it will create opportunities for us to work with bigger clients and create opportunities for us to be able to handle larger d data sets and people who have more transactions and help, help me pay employees more money by being able to make more money from clients. That's why. So what's, what's your plan? Like... Do you have a plan to move, to slowly move these over? Like, what's the thinking? Yes, about? and I, I this year I will. Everyone's going to have three or five clients on zero, and from there, I'm hopeful that somebody takes a liking and starts to grow into that. We are also going to have a, an intern this summer, so that's exciting, and that person's going to potentially be working on some side projects with regards to conversions and helping us get through some of that stuff. So, yeah. 
that's we do have a plan to to start to execute on that. Last year, the firm owner uh, was still here. We we're going through a ton of change, and I didn't I didn't feel comfortable necessarily pushing that change just because there was severe resistance, especially from the old firm owner. But she's a little more removed from things now, so I think that there's more of an opportunity to. To, yeah, just make sure yeah. I approach it tactfully, but but I'm gonna. I'm you gonna have do a plan. It's a multi-year plan. I think that's smart. I think a lot of times, new owners they come in and they're like, "I want to change everything like right now," and that's not. It's normally not the best thing to do unless you just want to fire everyone or unless you want everyone to quit and just have just start all over you're going to lose at least one great employee exactly right and and those people can and will learn it if you're give them a little bit of a little bit of rope but then at some point we'll push a little harder but i want to be smart about it and i think that doing it last year wouldn't have been smart you can you know well you can't really force change upon people so well you can there's but it's just he he to go he in really. He, he could have gone in and been like, "Hey, we're converting everyone to zero. Like, deal with it." The old owner would have would have quit. <laughs> so, what about new clients? Somebody comes to you, and they're on QuickBooks Desktop. Have you converted anybody new, or have you taken on any clients that are on the cloud? We have. We've taken on a few. A few of our newer clients have been open to that, and a few clients that we work with in Massachusetts have been open to that. So yeah, we've. Newer clients, it's much easier. It's And also existing clients, we have total control over a lot of them. So we'll be able to switch some of them. We're going to target clients who we don't do payroll for first and then build from there. Yeah, if you're doing all the books internally, like it's really easy to change because the client's not touching anything. So that's an easy conversion to do. 90% of our clients were doing everything. So if we wanted to, to move everybody, it, it could happen pretty quickly. Yeah, so it'll just so, take time. You just have to get buy. You have to get that buy-in from that main first person, and then they'll start telling everyone else, "Look how it's saving me so much time." It's just going to take a little time. It'll take a few years, but it'll be worth it exactly. at the end. Exactly. So let's go back to mindset shifts. Pre CPA Teddy was already ready to do another acquisition before the first year was even over. You were pretty deep into, I'm going to acquire this firm. And then if it wasn't that one, I'm going to acquire this one. And I'm going to, you know, you were very, very hungry. You were anxious to change things. I'm going to buy all the clients' scanners. I'm going to do all of this. You were, like, I was, it was inspirational for me to hear all of this talk. I was, you were convincing me that, uh, like, this was the way. And, um what the f*** happened to you, man? Like, it's, I think it immediately, when you got your CPA, you went from a CEO to a CPA. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or a good way, but it's almost like you got more realistic. You got more grounded the second you got the license. And it might not have even been that. It could have been something totally different. And I'm just drawing conclusions, but... I'm going to speak very vaguely about the two opportunities Scott's talking about since I have signed non-disclosure agreements. Is one of them Scott's break- firm? One of them uh, may or may not have been within Scott's network, and one of them was not in Scott's network. It was a pageant firm that he decided not to buy, but that I don't think that's the point. It wasn't the point of buying a pageant firm or whatever firm you wanted to buy, because you haven't made another acquisition, but you did go pretty deep in that I process. Got, I got really deep with a different firm, and it almost happened, but didn't. But that was a decision by the other side. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
So that being said, I'm pretty grateful. I think that that there's this tax season would have been wild if I had a second firm on my plate. And I think I'm grateful that it didn't happen, but everything happens for a reason. I learned a ton going through the process a few more times and, and that hopefully does eventually happen. But I was excited to, to learn more and, and yeah, meet some smart people and, and see how they ran their firm. One of the, my favorite parts of going through the process, even in the failed attempts was just learning about how other firms go about their business and, and it's fascinating to see the different ways people package up and sell similar services, whether it's bookkeeping or compilation agreements or engagements and stuff like that. So just write up, write up, cast, bookkeeping, six accounting for the same thing. And yeah. You can charge different prices if you sell it differently. So that's, that's yeah, what, it's that's all what. in the packaging. So, it's all in the product. So what are you most excited about, about your firm going forward? Using more zero with clients, truthfully. And I don't want to be too big of a zero homer, but that's the truth. So, you know, it's to I, me, like I, I have a loyalty to zero. They've, they've imprinted on me. I love everything about zero. But then again, you have QuickBooks desktop. Wouldn't it be easier to take more QuickBooks clients on? Most people know what QuickBooks is. Like what's the, you know, what's the um, draw to zero for you? This distinction, I guess. This comment was brought to you by Zero. I am resentful of <laughs> QuickBooks. I don't know how to tell it to you. Like into it, I just resent them. I, I do. I, I and I pay them a ton of money. We use their tax software. Like yeah, I I I don't know how else to say it. I don't I don't think I should go deeper. But I. Uh, so as I, a company, as a corporation, into it isn't somebody you want to align with. I guess is is what you're saying. That's very fair. Okay. And okay. I also think they're a genius, smart company that's been obviously very successful. And their products are, are really strong. And like I said, we're using 80 to 90% QuickBooks desktop. So it's, it's it works. And that's part of the reason that I... We, we're, it's a tool. I always saw it as a tool. As is Zero, And I need and I need to remind myself of that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, me too. I think Zero is a way of life. It's not necessarily a tool. <laughs> wow, you buy the Kool-Aid Zero so hard. A it's a way of life. Oh, God, yeah. Scott's yeah, going to say it's a way of life. Go work at Zero. Deep. It's a way of zero life. Zero and Apple. Zero is a way of oh, life. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, Teddy, here's a suggestion for maybe to help get this change going slightly faster. You need to take one of your people, take them, send them, you can go with them, or send them to one of these conferences, and let them see it. You going there actually does no good, because you're already bought into zero. So, that, it's like, you're just learning, you're just, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You need to send someone who's not into zero. You have to have what a champion. I, what if I use my two tickets and send my, my the two, two. Yeah. Yeah, you, I you think have that, to have a, a product champion that would be a firm. better... Spent like a time than you going. Not that you you going is more for networking and meeting other zero firm owners and stuff, but for them, like the actual seeing zero and how it works and learning other people, I think that could get some buy in. I like I like your thinking. Engage is also a great conference because they have like two hundred vendors there, and there's always like new stuff that you've never heard of. Like that's where we actually found out about Zero and Gusto and all stuff ten years ago when they were first starting out. So I that's why I go to engage, like just the vendor space. Like the CP stuff, I'm just I'm like Scott. Don't do that. But the vendor stuff is amazing. 
Well, <laughs> we were talking about the mindset shift of buying up firms. Is there another acquisition on the horizon? Are you waiting for the right opportunity? Because I don't think you're done with this one yet. I think, like, to be honest, I think you want to set the foundation to the model of what you, how you want to grow. You're going to have a fragmented system if you buy another firm. Or you could buy a firm that's cloud-based and then start using that as the model to transition your current firm. I don't know. I'm just spitballing there. I feel like this whole episode is a big sales pitch from Scott trying to sell me his firm so that he can go join the zero. <laughs> it's the really zero not. Team. I mean, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy with my firm at the at the moment because I'm making money. Like when I wasn't making money last year, I was like, what the f is this even worth it? But yeah. So last year you would have sold to me? Oh, hell yeah. Last year there was, it was a lot lower price. <laughs> Just, just wait three months. Yeah. <laughs> three million is my price right now. After tax season, people don't need their accountant anymore. So then, you know, exactly. I'll talk to him in the fall. You've got a whole... Well, you didn't answer the question. In the short term, there is no opportunity that I am currently pursuing, but I will continue to look at listings. And if I see great metrics, I'll probably follow up with people, especially if they're in the Raleigh area or somewhere closer to Boston where I have family and other, but I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm open minded and, uh, I want to continue to keep my options open, but my full focus this summer is, is continuing to build more process within our onboarding and, and make that more consistent. So our sales process and our, our onboarding process. Okay. Teddy, tell us, so you, you've gone through all this process. Give us a piece of advice for someone who's Maybe it was you two years ago and is looking to buy a firm or expand or do whatever. The most important thing is to trust the person that you're getting into business with. But I also think you gotta you got to look at those metrics and how much work is that owner doing. <clears throat> those are some of the things you got to think about and consider. And are you going to be doing that same amount or is it going to be different? And just trying to, yeah, the it never goes to plan. So the more you plan and continue to reiterate fast, the better it'll go. That's excellent. Feedback advice. loops. Feedback loops. Keep them tight. Feed. Keep them closed. Over communicate. <laughs> communicate. 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 So you did no, kind no, of keep me aligned. Are, and you, help me are out. you trying to buy some firms this year, or what's your no, plan on that? We don't. He will never buy a firm. We just. I wouldn't say never, but that's just not how I want to grow. How about you, Scott? Oh, oh, I don't think I would buy a firm, but I've always been against grow by acquisition. I've always been natural growth and regular progression because it's cheaper. I don't like to pay for stuff, dude. I am. I don't even like to pay <laughs> we for We know. <laughs> I don't like to pay for things. So, you know, to me, I've, I've never seen that as a... And honestly, I did acquire my firm so to speak like i did buy it from the prior owner so there's there's that but i don't think that's the way i never really did outside of that like we grew naturally right it was ninety thousand dollar firm yeah i think like the way but like for you it made total sense like it's very hard to just start from nothing so buying a firm is a good way to get in the door and get business and grow just, oh, for Teddy, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But for for you, Teddy, like it's it's it does kind of make sense. You've got the mindset because it's not for everybody. An acquisition is definitely not for everybody, and and growing slowly is not for everybody either. Acquisitions are hard because I mean, you just acquired, you went from nothing. Like, 
you try to merge two firms with different cultures, it gets very hard and complicated as you go. Who were those two firms out west who merged recently? There was one. There was. I mean, there's some big, big mergers. Cloud there's also merger. Summit CPA wasn't a merger. They they got acquired by a traditionally larger firm, a regional firm in St. Louis. Summit CPA. I forgot Anderson. I think was the name of the firm that they got acquired by. And then you had Kenji and um, Matt at Acuity, okay. Kenji uh, and Matt. merging or kind of merging with Catching Clouds. But Catching Clouds, this was an up move for them. So they merged into Acuity. So it's the brand is still Acuity, but it was an equity deal. And now they have, you know, multiple people at the round table. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking for, too, because it's time for me to evolve as a person and I can't do it alone. So I'm, I'm ready to have partners. What's the skill set that you're seeking in another partner, Scott? It's a good question. So I'm looking at somebody that aligns with vision, but I am very much a visionary. I don't have any of those integrator characteristics. I can't take things beyond, you know, sometimes I can get things to the 50 yard line, but usually I get them, you know, just to the 20. And then somebody else could take it the rest of the way there. This podcast, he's, he's I took the to the goal line. He punts the ball. Yeah, I took the podcast. No, I'm the returner. Somebody. And I was the returner when I played football. I was the return, but I, I but don't you normally think take I had a knee. any return. You take a knee in the end zone and just... I never took a bring, knee. Bring, I never <laughs> took a knee. Teddy, this has been amazing. We'll today. play golf soon. Before we go, Teddy, where can we follow you if someone wants to follow you on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever? I am on LinkedIn as Teddy Sullivan. I work for Human Resource Partners in Raleigh, North Carolina. Google me, search me. And if you have Human any dash resource dash partners dot com is our website. And if you um, want to complain about zero, just send him an email too. He'll pass it up. <laughs> I will forward that right on along <laughs> to an old friend. That's what I'll do with that email. Shout out to Zero's. This a brand. has been good. I gotta bounce. Teddy, it's been a pleasure. We'll play golf soon. Yes, talk soon. Have a good one. Internet Tech Tuesday. Digital Tech Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember server systems with tech allowances, fintech vendors with some cloud outfits, but now they're coding this computer science for accountants. In fact, I'm remoting in new tools, paperless, asynchronous for data analysts, APIs to find all your SaaS apps connected, cloud computing plugins for your implementation, automate technology to leverage the meta, disrupt your desktop, then break it down. We're sharing metrics, AI to the GPT to the AI disrupt. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto agents disrupt. Time to tweak your tech team and make some changes disrupt. If my staff quit, I still have automation disrupt. Last episode just went viral. Let's go, it's gonna make your head spiral. Scarano, Casey, Sunshine, Accounting High Show. The lab is ready, it's tech time, yo. Glitch, it's tech time. Disrupt, it's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. 